welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the feast of St. Therese of the Child Jesus. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, who open your kingdom to those who are humble and to little ones, lead us to follow trustingly in the little way of St. Therese, so that through her intercession we may see your eternal glory revealed. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Job. Job said, Pity me, pity me, you my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you hound me down like God? Will you never have enough of my flesh? Ah, would that these words of mine were written down, inscribed on some monument, with iron chisel and engraving tool, cut into the rock forever. This I know, that my avenger lives and he, the last, will take his stand on earth. After my awaking, he will set me close to him, and from my flesh I shall look on God. He whom I shall see will take my part. These eyes will gaze on him and find him not aloof. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I believe that I shall see the good things of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe that I shall see the good things of the Lord in the land of the living. O Lord, hear my voice when I call. Have mercy and answer. Of you my heart has spoken. Seek his face. I believe that I shall see the good things of the Lord in the land of the living. It is your face, O Lord, that I seek. Hide not your face. Dismiss not your servant in anger. You have been my help. I believe that I shall see the good things of the Lord in the land of the living. I am sure I shall see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Hope in him. Hold firm and take heart. Hope in the Lord. I believe that I shall see the good things of the Lord in the land of the living. Alleluia, alleluia. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. 
the Lord appointed seventy-two others and sent them out ahead of him in pairs to all the towns and places he himself was to visit. He said to them, The harvest is rich, but the labourers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send labourers to his harvest. Start off now, but remember, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Carry no purse, no haversack, no sandals. Salute no one on the road. Whatever house you go into, let your first words be, Peace to this house. And if a man of peace lives there, your peace will go and rest on him. If not, it will come back to you. Stay in the same house, taking what food and drink they have to offer, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not move from house to house. Whenever you go into a town where they make you welcome, eat what is set before you. Cure those in it who are sick, and say, The kingdom of God is very near to you. But whenever you enter a town, and they do not make you welcome, go out into its streets and say, We wipe off the very dust of your town that clings to our feet and leave it with you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is very near. I tell you, on that day, it will not go as hard with Sodom as with that town. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we're at this point in the book of Job, where Job, of course, has suffered his tremendous tragedies of losing his livelihood and losing his children and having a wife who's, you know, not very warm towards him, let's say. And after a period of, you know, seven days sitting in silence, he's now having these dialogues with his three friends. And one of his friends will say something and then he'll make a response. And then one of the other friends will say something and he'll make a response. And you see this kind of back and forth going on. And the general thrust of these dialogues is, is really probing this question of, you know, well, where does suffering come from? And Job's comforters, they're basically saying, well, look, God is just. God's not the problem. So if God has done this to you, then it's because you're the problem. There's some kind of sin that you need to atone for. There's something that you've done. There's something that you need to make amends for. And like we were saying yesterday, you know, Job kind of like puts his hands up in the air and goes, look, I, I don't know what I would have done. I'm innocent. And what I suffer is unjust. And so you end up with this problem. Why do bad things happen to good people? And we know that Job's pretty angry. You know, we've heard him curse the day of his birth and come to the conclusion that, well, actually, because his life's not really worth living, um, he can be free to complain against God. Listen to this. This is uh, the beginning of chapter 10. Since I have lost all taste for life, I shall give free rein to my complaining. I shall let my embittered soul speak out. I shall say to God, do not condemn me. Tell me what your case is against me. Is it right for you to attack me in contempt for what you yourself have made, thus abetting the schemes of the wicked? So basically, Job feels like he's got nothing to lose. You want to take my life, Lord? You go ahead and take my life. I don't want it anymore. Um, but there is this question now. It's like, well, God, you brought me into existence. For what? 
Because now you actually attack the very thing you created. You stand alongside the wicked who seek to destroy. So the problem's actually you. Job really struggles with the contradiction between God who is the creator and God who is, in his estimation, causing these terrible things to happen to him. And he sees it as a bit of a shocking game that God's playing. He goes on to say, Having made me remember as though of clay, now you mean to turn me back into dust. Did you not pour me out like milk and then let me thicken like curds? Clothe me with skin and flesh and weave me out of bone and sinew. In your love you gave me life and in your care watched over my every breath. Yet all the while you had a secret plan. I know that you were biding your time to see if I should sin and then not acquit me of my faults. In other words, Job thinks that life's a bit of a game for God and that he set a trap for him, waiting for him to fall into it so that he could snap it shut. God, you gave me life so that you could crush me. There's obviously a lot of pain and confusion coming out of Job at this moment. Uh, And I suppose he's giving voice to the pain of the human heart to the confusion that we experience in the face of our own suffering. And so what Job does is he kind of puts God on trial. The structure that we see playing out in this part of the book of Job is what's known as a riv. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, we had the gospel on Sunday where Jesus describes conflict between two disciples and how that needs to be resolved. You know, the one disciple needs to go and bring the complaint to the other. Now, that's what a reeve is. A reeve is that moment where the aggrieved party goes to the one at whose hands they have suffered and make their complaint in order to seek justice, in order to convince them of their wrongdoing so that it could be put right. And this is what Job is doing To God. God, you have wronged me. You are unjust. And here is my complaint. At the beginning of chapter 13, Job kicks on like this. He says, My words are intended for Shaddai, for God, right? I mean to remonstrate with God. As for you, you are only charlatans. He's talking to his friends, right? All worthless as doctors. Will no one teach you to be quiet? the only wisdom that becomes you. Kindly listen to my accusation and give your attention to the way I plead. Do you mean to defend God by prevarication and by dishonest argument? And taking his side like this, appoint yourselves as his advocates. I mean, listen to the language. It's it's legal. He's talking about his friends, you know, Job's comforters, being advocates for God. They're the ones who are kind of defending him in the law court, while Job is the one who is making his case. Job's accusing God of being unjust. Now, that's all a pretty long setup to the first reading which we have today, but I think it's been important. Because now when we get to the 19th chapter, this kind of court case, this riv, is continuing. And in the face of the complaints that Job makes against God, he has this to say. He says, this I know, 
that my avenger lives, and he, the last, will take his stand on earth. After my awaking, he will set me close to him, and from my flesh I shall look on God. He whom I shall see will take my part. These eyes will gaze on him and find him not aloof. Job has this great declaration that he knows that his avenger lives. This avenger um, can also be translated as advocate. You know, one who will be his lawyer, one who will speak on his behalf and be able to declare the injustice that he has suffered and put right his sufferings. This I know, that my avenger, my advocate, lives, and he the last will take his stand on earth. Now, biblical scholars have some pretty great knockdown fights as to who this advocate is, this avenger. And the context of the book of Job itself would suggest that this avenger is probably God himself, that at the end of Job's life, God himself will speak on behalf of Job and acknowledge the injustice that he suffered and will put it right, that somewhere in Job there is still faith that God is not unjust himself, but that he will bring justice at the end of time. Now, the early fathers of the church, when they read this text, see this avenger as being a type of Christ, a prefiguring of Jesus, the one who will bring definitive justice upon the earth. And that in this text, there is in fact a kind of early account of the resurrection. He says, after my awaking, he will set me close to him, and from my flesh I shall look on God that after my awaking from death, right, that he would look upon God from the flesh. Why? Because the advocate has spoken on his behalf. There is a living redeemer who has taken Job's part and has brought him into God's holy presence. Now, don't get me wrong, Job's still angry and he's still continuing his complaint against God. But there's a gap that opens up which allows Job to see that there might well be justice that comes, that there might be something in the future which is something of a restoration. So in this court case, we've seen Job's accusation. Tomorrow, we're going to hear God's defence. Stay tuned. At the Saviour's command... And formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, 
I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot, at this moment, receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.